we're, we're going to be in uh, Acts chapter 16. That's where we'll start out. If you want to start finding that in your Bible. Um, my name's Andy. Welcome. Glad that you're able to worship with us today. Uh, one of the things that I love about our, uh, about our church family here at Lakeview, in the first service, we had somebody that just celebrated her 102nd birthday. And we also have somebody here who just celebrated her second week of life um, and, and lots of lots of babies and lots of in-between. And so that is, I just love that. Um, uh, God's really blessed us with all of you. Um, and so that's exciting. I have a couple of announcements as we're getting into the sermon and the passage today. First of all, uh, it's Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes. You could drop those off today if you have them. If you forgot, that's okay. We will be open all the way through Thursday at noon. And that'll be the last time that they'll be able to be dropped off. So uh, bring that. And also our Thanksgiving box drive. Excited to say that we have reached all of our boxes. We've gotten all of the goal. So well done. Um, I don't have the exact number, but we packed more than twice as many as we usually do. Uh, so because of your generosity, a lot of families in Stoughton area will have a Thanksgiving meal uh, that otherwise couldn't have afforded it. So good job. Um, November 27th will be Christmas decorating after the service. So we invite you to stick around for that and help us make the church pretty for Christmas. And then um, uh, one other announcement on December 3rd, we're having a family Christmas fun day. That's a Saturday. It'll be from 1 to 4. Um, we're going to do fun things like have a gingerbread house building competition. We might do some caroling or some other things. It's just a time to come out and enjoy being together as the family of God. Um, and so that's the 3rd of December. Speaking of being together as the family of God, families have traditions, practices. God's family has traditions and practices. And so we're in a series this fall called In God's Family, and we're looking at some of the family practices in the household of God. Last week we looked at um, bap or communion. This week we're going to look at baptism. And I was thinking about fun family traditions, and I decided Thanksgiving is just around the corner what are some fun family Thanksgiving traditions? So I started looking online, and I found a few. Some families celebrate Thanksgiving dinner in their pajamas. So if you want to do that, that's great. Don't come to my house. Uh, it depends on what you sleep in, I guess. But um, So that's something you could try. One of my favorite things that I saw online was to have a Thanksgiving tablecloth uh, where it's a big cloth tablecloth with Sharpies, and every year everybody writes one thing they're thankful for. And then at, as you reuse the tablecloth, it builds and builds and builds, and everybody can look back and see what God has done in their lives uh, over the years. Some families uh, do a Christmas ornament exchange at the Thanksgiving meal. Then they all hang their ornaments on the tree. Um, one uh, family that I read about invites the whole town to their Thanksgiving. They work with their neighbors. They block off their uh, the street in their block, and they set up... Uh, Big, huge, long tables just lined up all of the, all the way down the street, and they invite the whole town to come out and have a Thanksgiving meal. They don't live in Wisconsin, apparently, because doing that outside in November is a little chilly. Um, but those are some fun Thanksgiving traditions I thought I would share with you. They're just kind of interesting. God's family has traditions, and just like different families have different Thanksgiving traditions, different church families have different traditions around baptism. Baptism is one of these things that we do in God's family, and different churches do it differently. Some churches sprinkle when they baptize people. 
Some uh, splash, some pour. Some churches pour three times, once for the Father, once for the Son, once for the Holy Spirit. Some churches, like Lakeview, dunk people all the way under. We've got a baptismal uh, tank behind that curtain. It's kind of like a hot tub, and you just whoosh, whoosh, except for when the heater doesn't work. Um, then it's a little chilly. We've done that before. Um, but different churches do different things. Some churches baptize infants. Some don't. Some churches teach that baptism is necessary in order to be saved, and some don't. So there are different church family traditions around this uh, baptism. And I, I was looking at some of the modern ones, and I decided, what are some ancient church traditions around baptism? There are some really strange ones. Uh, some ancient cr- churches said that baptism had to happen in a river or a stream, not a pond or a lake. It had to be flowing water. Uh, I don't know why, but that was that some said it had to be in cold water, not heated water. I guess they're testing your resolve. I don't know. Um, some churches uh, had the people getting baptized had to get naked. Now, they would have men and women separated, um, but they would do n- baptism naked, and then as you came out of the water, they would put, give you a white robe to wear, uh, symbolizing your new life in Christ. Uh, we don't do nude baptisms at Lakeview. Um, you're welcome. But the, the, the weirdest one I found, the weirdest one from church history is uh, in s- the second century, there was a, a denomination of Christianity called the Marcionites, and they would baptize people on behalf of the dead. So what they would do is if somebody died, they would lay the body out on a bed, and they would have somebody uh, who's alive hide under the bed. Then they would have the pastor or an elder from the church come in and ask the dead body, do you want to get baptized? And the person under the bed would say, yes. <laughs> and then that person would come out from under the bed and get baptized on behalf of the dead person. I, it's a little strange. Lots of different family traditions. Some of them, like maybe that last one, go a little outside the bounds of Scripture. But baptism is a Christian tradition, and there are different family traditions. And so the question really is, do we understand what baptism is? It's something that's been around from the very beginning. You read about it in the New Testament. So when Christians, uh, we've been baptizing people for 2,000 years, do we really understand what baptism means? Um, When parents talk to their kids about getting baptized, what are they talking to their kids about? Why would my kid get baptized? What do I explain about that, right? What decision am I making when I decide to get baptized? Uh, Why do we get baptized? And the answer to the why, ultimately, in the simplest answer, is that Jesus commanded it. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right? So baptism isn't a suggestion. It's not an option. Oh, if you don't happen to have a soccer game, get baptized today. No, it's a command. And we're supposed to be obedient to what Jesus says. That's what it means to follow Christ. The question really then is, why did Jesus command baptism? Why? This, this weird ritual of getting dunked and coming up out of the water, why would Jesus command that? Does it have any significance today? I think it does. I've got a couple of things I want to pull out. There are probably more than two answers to this question, but I'm just going to pull out two from the scriptures today. Um, the first answer is Jesus commands baptism because baptism is a demonstration of true faith in Jesus. Baptism is an expression of genuine trust in Christ. 
that comes from Acts chapter 16, uh, many places, but this is one of my favorite stories. Paul and Silas go to Philippi, and they're preaching the gospel. And one thing leads to another. They end up getting arrested and put in jail. And so they're sitting there in the middle of the night, in chains, in jail, and they are singing and praying and worshiping and praising God. You can imagine, I've just been arrested, I'm in chains, I'm sitting in jail, waiting my trial, and I'm praising and rejoicing and celebrating the goodness of God from a jail cell, right? Pretty phenomenal. While they are uh, worshiping God in prison, there's an earthquake. God provides an earthquake, and the chains break, the locks on the doors break, the doors fall off and hang open, and the jailer, the guard, is woken up by this earthquake, and he looks out his window, and he sees the the doors to the jail open, and he panics. Because in that time period, for the Roman Empire, if you were a jailer and the prisoners escaped, your life was taken in exchange for theirs. You would be executed. So he knows he's going to die, and rather than be tortured to death by the Roman Empire, he decides to take his own life. So he pulls out his sword, and he's just about ready to do it. And Paul and Silas, who are still in the jail with the rest of the prisoners, looks out the window, sees him about to commit suicide, and he says, Stop! Don't do it! None of us have left. We're all still here. So then the jailer is like, Oh my goodness, (laughs) What, what happened? And in Acts chapter 16, verse 30, the jailer brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. The Philippian jailer was baptized as a demonstration of his true faith in Christ, that he had believed the message that Paul and Silas told him. Now, I want to point something out that's not immediately clear. Uh, When it says that he had believed in God, when he asked them, what do I need to do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean believe that Jesus is real. Believe that God is real. See, there's a difference between believing that and believing in. And we kind of mix these up in English. So we say, do you believe in Santa Claus? Well, that means, do you believe that Santa Claus is real? That's what we say. Do you believe in Santa Claus? Do you believe in George Washington? Do you believe that George Washington really was a person in history? And that's the language that we use. But when Paul is talking about believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the jailer is rejoicing because he believed in God, he's not saying, oh, I used to believe that Zeus was real, and now I believe that Jesus is real. Woo, hooray! That's not what he's talking about. There's a difference between believing that and believing in. And and the best way to illustrate this might be, Um, When your kid is getting ready to run a cross-country race and he's not sure if he can make the full track and you say, I believe in you. I'm not saying, Jack, I believe that you're existing right now. That's not what I'm, that's, when I say I believe in you, what I mean is I trust that you can run that race. You can run that that track. You can do it. I believe in you, right? Uh, Midterm elections. We elect a politician. We say, 
I am believing in this politician. I don't, that doesn't mean I believe that he or she exists. It means I believe that he or she will do what they promised to do when they were running for office. He or she will make decisions that advance the glory of God or the kingdom of God or whatever it might be, right? That's the sense in which Paul is saying, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Not just believe that he exists, but believe in him. Trust that he is who the Bible said he is. When he believed in God, he's, I am entrusting myself to God. I believe that God will do what he said he would do in the book. I believe that he came in, uh, as a human being named Jesus and died on the cross for my sin and that he will save me from death and I trust him with my life. That's what it means to believe in God. And that's what the baptism meant when the Philippian jailer got baptized. He was showing that he believed in, he entrusted himself to God. And that sense baptism is kind of like a wedding ring i have a wedding ring on my finger this wedding ring does not make me married just because i put a ring on my finger doesn't make me married i took the vow to be committed to my wife for the rest of my life and then i put a wedding ring on my finger as a demonstration that i am married to her that I belong to her, right? Baptism is the same way. Baptism doesn't make you saved. Just because you got baptized as an infant or as a seven-year-old or as a 16-year-old or whatever, it doesn't make you saved. Rather, baptism is an expression of the faith that you already have in Christ. That's why at Lakeview, we practice what we call believer's baptism. Now, I know there are churches and there are Christian family traditions that baptize infants. And I'm not ragging on them. I'm not uh, saying anything bad about those traditions or those movements. I'm just explaining what we do at Lakeview. When we read the New Testament, we see that whenever people get baptized, it always comes after they have decided to have faith in Christ. And we say, well, a newborn baby can't decide for itself to have faith in Christ. So we wait until that child is old enough to decide for themselves, do I follow Christ? And then we say, now that you've made that decision, we're happy to dunk you and baptize you as a demonstration of your faith. Jesus commanded baptism because baptism is a demonstration of true faith in him. And number two, Jesus commanded baptism because baptism is a rite of passage. Baptism is a, a marker stone. This comes from Romans chapter 6, if you'll find that. Uh, baptism is this point, this turning point in your life. I used to hunt um, a long time ago, and then I got married, and the hunt was over. Uh, <laughs> I got the best trophy ever. But, um, yeah, I used to hunt, and, and every now and again, um, I would get permission to hunt on land that I'd never been on. There was one time, uh, it was a... I, was, I grew up in Missouri, right on the Mississippi River, and there was this thick, really thick, thickly wooded piece of bottom ground right on the river. And I, I went in there, and I was just kind of scouting it out, trying to get a feel for uh, this property, and I kind of got turned around. I didn't realize it, but when I came out of the woods, I was a couple of miles off where I thought I should have been in the wrong direction, and it was getting dark. Um, now, not a big deal in Missouri, but... Uh, <coughs> It kind of scared me a little bit. I was a teenager at the time. 
And so I got into the habit of whenever I would go and explore a new place, I would make a little pile of stones or set up some sticks in a certain way as a marker to point me back. I thought that was the right way, but my marker points this way. So even though I'm a little mixed up, I'm going this way. And I made sure that I wouldn't get lost, right? Baptism is kind of like that. It's a marker stone. It it points you in the direction. It reminds you of the rite of passage that you have in Christ. It's a rite of passage. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14 has several of these. First of all, it's a rite of passage from sin to righteousness. Look at uh, Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Then in verse 10, he picks this train of thought up again. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, baptism is a rite of passage that moves from sin to righteousness. I don't live under sin anymore. I have died to sin, and I now am alive in Christ. It's that moment. When did I move from sin to righteousness? Well, my baptism is a marker in my life, right? It's a rite of passage from death to life. Look at Romans 6, 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And then picking it up in verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. See, baptism is a rite of passage, not just from sin to righteousness, but also from death to life. Because we have died to sin and we have died with Christ and Jesus was resurrected, someday we will be resurrected just like Jesus and we will never die again just like Jesus. Death no longer has any power over us. We don't have to fear death because we know we'll be raised to eternal life like Christ. And baptism is that marker that reminds us of that reality. Baptism is a rite of passage from slavery to freedom. Romans 6, 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free of sin. And verse 14, for sin will no longer have dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. See, we don't have, uh, we don't live enslaved to sin anymore because Jesus came and through his death and resurrection broke the power of sin in our lives. I don't have to sin anymore. I don't have to go back and do those things that I used to do because I've been set free from the power of sin. Baptism is a rite of passage that proclaims to the world the freedom that we have in Christ. And it's a rite of passage that from this day forward, you can be who you are in Christ. Uh, Romans six twelve, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body 
to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. He's talking here about a new identity. The old identity is those who are enslaved to sin and death. The new identity is those who have been brought from death to life in Christ. And what he's saying is, don't live that old way anymore. You have a new identity. You have been adopted into God's family, born again into his household. You have a room in God's house. You have a place at God's table. He looks at you and says, son, daughter, don't you know that I love you? Right? You are a child of God, so now live as a child of God. And you say, well, I don't know. Uh, how do I know that? How do I know that my faith is real? How do I know that my faith is genuine? It's because you can point back to your baptism and say, there was a moment in my life when I made a decision to follow Christ and to belong to him. So later, when I struggle with doubt, I can look back and say, no, there's a mile marker that is pointing me in the right direction. Yes, I do belong to Jesus because I chose and I demonstrated that faith through baptism. See, whether you uh, grew up in church or whether you didn't grow up in church, whether you have a Christian background or whether you don't have a Christian background, some, uh, at some point, all of us reach a, a crossroads in our life where we have to decide what to do with Jesus. Either we believe that he is who he said he was and we give our lives to him or we don't and we go on our way. At some point, we all have to decide. We have to choose. Have you given your life to Christ? Have you believed in the Lord Jesus? Not just that he exists, but do you, have you entrusted yourself to him? Are you a follower of Christ? And if you haven't made that decision, if you haven't ever believed in him, maybe you've just believed that he exists, you can do that. It's as simple as saying, I haven't done that. I haven't followed you with my life. I want to, and I surrender myself to you and receive you as my Lord and Savior. And that moment, you're born again, you receive the Holy Spirit, you can express that, demonstrate that new faith through baptism. If you have decided, yes, I am a follower of Jesus, and I made that decision, one of the questions I would have is, have you been baptized since you made that decision? Have you uh, demonstrated that faith? Can you point back to that moment and say, baptism is a mile marker that reassures me that I did, in fact, decide to follow Christ? And if you have been baptized, the last question I would have is, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I did get baptized. Well, remember, baptism is that rite of passage to be who you are in Christ. Is there an area in your life where you're living out of your old identity instead of the new life that you have in Christ? Baptism is a demonstration of true faith in Jesus. It is a rite of passage from sin to righteousness, from death to life, from slavery to freedom, and from this day forward to be who you are in Christ. And that's why Jesus commanded it. Uh, I don't know your stories, all of your stories. I know some people have been baptized. Some people may not have been baptized. Um, the, the best application to this message, I think, is if you have not been baptized since you began to believe, and you would like to be, we would like to dunk you next Sunday. So uh, grab this Connect card. It's in the seat pocket near you. Put your name on it and your contact information and write, I want to get baptized. 
and we'll follow up with you this week, and we would love uh, to turn the heater on and make sure it's working and, uh, and have a baptism. And then you can demonstrate your faith in Christ through that obedience. Uh, let me pray, and we'll close our service. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the mercy that you give us. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came and died to sin once and for all. And then you rose to life in God. And because we <laughs> belong to you when we put our trust in you, we die with you. And then are looking forward to being raised with you. And our baptism is that beautiful picture as we go under the water. It's like being buried in the ground with Christ. And then as we come up out of the water, it's like being resurrected to live a new life. And the resurrection life starts the moment we believe in you. So Lord Jesus, if there's somebody here who has not believed in you, I pray that you would call them through the power of the Holy Spirit to place their trust in you. Not just to believe that you're real, but to receive you as their God and Savior. If there's somebody here that needs to get baptized as an expression of their faith in you, as a demonstration, I pray that you would convict them on that point so that they can share that with their church family next week. And Lord, for those of us who have been baptized as believers and we trust in you, I confess that there are many times when I don't live out of my new identity. And I pray that you would stir in our hearts those areas that we can confess that to you and be transformed by the renewing of our minds through your spirit and your word and your church. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with a song this morning. Uh, earlier in the week when I was looking over the sermon points,